This is the Ridge Hunter Outdoors podcast. Hey everybody, this is episode 40. I'm Kenya Clark here with Nate Burgess. And tonight, we're going to be talking about another article by our buddy, if I can call him that, Steve Shirk. We've had him on the podcast a couple of times. You guys can look him up and go check those out. He's been great both times he's been on. Does a lot of good articles for North American Whitetail, which is what this one is in. And it's called Old School Scouting. So we're going to talk a little bit about some ways to scout during the summer that are not just from trail cameras. And we'll get into that a little bit. Before we get started, though, uh, we will be at the Illinois Deer and Beer Fest, which is at the Interstate Center in Bloomington, Illinois, on August 27th and 28th. I believe it's all day the 27th and then until 4 o'clock on the Sunday, which is the 28th. So we'll be there in booth number 148. Really big event. They've got like over $100,000 in door prizes. I think it's sponsored by PSE and maybe Working Class Bowhunter Podcast, which if you guys haven't checked that one out, go check them out too. they got a really good podcast. Uh it's going to be a good time, I think. I think we're going to have fun. Like I said, we on the last one, we've been trying to get in it for two years. And it's been canceled twice due to COVID. So finally going to get to do that. And I think it'll be a lot of fun. Like I said, Booth 148, if you guys are up there in the area, check it out. If you're not going to be, make plans to be there because I think it's going to be really good. All kinds of big names are going to be there too. So I don't know if it'll be quite as big as Iowa, but I think it's one of the bigger shows in the Midwest as well. So there'll be a lot of big names there as far as companies go and as far as personalities, I'm sure it'll be a good time. So stop by and see us if you're there. We're going to be doing some podcast stuff. We'll have some uh, some products from our sponsors, Racks Big Game Supplements and Grandfather Outdoors. You guys can check that out. We'll also have some of our Ridge Hunter scents. So we'll have the Buck Tarsal Spray and the Doe Tarsal Spray. I don't know if we'll have any boot spray by that time or not, but we'll definitely have an order sheet for anybody who wants some. So that's what we'll be doing there. Don't forget about that. Put it on your calendars. Uh, additionally, this podcast, our weekly, well, the one that we've been doing, so the uh, main edition of the Rich Hunter Outdoors podcast, is going to be moving to Monday. So if you listened to one last week, you know it came out on Monday. going to try to move this one to Mondays permanently because I've got something in the works, hopefully, that'll be coming out on Fridays. I'm not going to get into it too much because... I'm not exactly sure if it's going to happen for sure yet. I'm going to try to get it done. But I think it'll be pretty cool, and we'll have some more content out there. That'll be more bow hunting specific, uh, not just whitetail stuff. So that's exciting, too. We're looking forward to all that. But with that said, I don't think I'm missing anything. We're going to get into the article, and then we'll also talk about some stuff that we got going on food plot-wise I know Nate got some beans planted here mm-hmm. last week, so we'll talk about some of that and some of the stuff we're planning on doing and thinking about as well. But to get started on this, like I said, Steve Shirk's Old School Scouting, uh, his header on here, tried and true summer scouting methods are still just as reliable as modern technology, which we talk about a lot, just doing the old school stuff, getting out there, boots on the ground. Uh, it worked in the past. It still works now. It worked it, for a lot of guys for yep, a long time. Yep, so... Uh, why leave something in the past that's still going to work? Mm-hmm. You know, just because you have new stuff doesn't mean you have to leave the old stuff behind. Yep. Use them both. I mean, that's what he's talking about, and that's what we're going to get into. So, open it up. He says, summer is arguably the most overlooked time to spend in the deer woods, which I'd agree with. Mm-hmm. 
Although most of us spend summer attacking the honey-do list so we have free time in the fall, also agree with, yeah. <laughs> there's still much that needs to be done in preparation for the upcoming deer season. Even though I always take advantage of new age technology and the latest hunting strategies, my roots are still deeply attached to old school methods. Uh, I think me and you are a little bit like that. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe not to the extent that the guys used to do it. Which, oh, no. Uh, which is part of having that, the new technology. You don't have to yeah. do it as much. Yeah. I still think you get out there and do it. It's a good idea. Yeah. And like Jeff and Dad have talked about that before and can attest to what they used to have to do or the stuff that they used to do. So they know a lot on this topic. And, you know, we've had past episodes where we talked a little bit about it before, but we're going to dive into a little bit more with what uh, Steve's talking about. And one thing to remember here is he does most of his hunting, like he said before when he's on the podcast, big timber stuff. His is all public land, but that doesn't mean you can't use it on your private land, Mm -hmm. especially if you've got timber on it. Um, And there's things in here I'm going to skip around on. So if you want to read the full article, it's a really good article especially if you're hunting public land with some timber. It's in the July edition of North American Whitetail, so you should check that out. Um, The first thing he gets into is locating mass crops. He says, you certainly can't bank on any food sources consistently producing year after year in the big woods. Every year is different. So that right there, we've talked about it before. Acorns are great Mm -hmm. when they're there. It's hard to rely on them, which is why we like you know, food plots and stuff so much yeah. on private ground. Yeah. Now, again, public ground is a little different. You can't do that kind of stuff. You got to take what you get. Yeah, you got to find what's there. But that said, he says this time of year, he'll locate productive oaks mainly by glassing into the treetops, but also keep an eye out for freshly fallen oak branches. So mm-hmm. you're out there in the woods doing your other scouting, or maybe this is the reason you're out there. Take your binoculars and you can look up in those oak trees and generally see if they've got acorns on them. Especially by now. You know, early summer, it's a little harder because they ain't quite as big yet. Mm-hmm. You can still see them, especially on, like, the branches that have fallen and stuff. But right now, they're getting good enough size that you could see them with, maybe even without binoculars on a small enough tree. But mm-hmm. getting out there and finding uh, if oak trees are producing. Yeah. And which ones are, which ones aren't maybe in areas. Because, you know, there'll be years where, uh, say, you got a couple different places with an oak ridge on them. One of them might have a pretty good crop on it. The other one may not, mm-hmm. depending on how far apart they are. Most of the time, you're going to see pretty consistent production, I think, because we're in a small enough, if you're hunting in a small enough area. But there are times when, you know, whether it just misses some rains or whatever the case may be, it may not have as much production or if they're in different stages of growth and all that. Mm-hmm. So getting out there, especially, you know, it's easier on private ground because you know where your oak trees are at, Correct. where you're hunting. I know where mine are at on the yeah. different properties. So you can get out there and look for them. Uh, you ever done any of that in the past, like in the summertime? Uh, not too much. Um, uh, like uh, like you just said, I know where they're all at. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't take inventory uh, necessarily on how good they're making each year. Um, and I also don't care to get out there and get ate up with jiggers and turkey mites and the like. Um, I also do not enjoy hot weather. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, is it an overlooked time of year? Yeah. Uh, but I prefer to do my scouting in the summer, uh, from the truck in the mm-hmm. AC, mm-hmm. uh, with the spotting scope. <laughs> yep. And we're getting into that a little bit yes. too, cause he, he does talk about that. Yeah. Um, now this year I do probably need to get out there. Um, uh, I don't like being intrusive. I really don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course with, uh, trail cameras and everything now, it's easier to scout and be less intrusive mm-hmm. than the old guys had to. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do want to get out there and see exactly what's going to happen probably in mid-September 
ish, not too long before season comes in, because I burn off my main patch of woods, you know, yeah. this spring. Yep. Um, now it's not done exactly what I thought it'd do. Um, it, it's a fairly mature stand of timber, mm-hmm. um, not super mature, but fairly mature. I'm going to say at least 40 years um, uh, of growth in there. It's, there's some trees that's older than that. Yeah. Uh, but I'm going to say most of them trees, just guessing, uh, rough guess, I'm going to say they're 40 years old or so. Um, I'd say that the canopy's heavy enough to where all that stuff down low really isn't going to take off good. Isn't quite enough sunlight. Correct. Yeah. Um, so to make it thicker, I probably need to do more cutting in the middle of the woods mm-hmm. uh, to get a good a very well-established thick spot in the middle. Mm-hmm. I've already got a small one that wouldn't burn because it was so thick, um, which, uh, looking back, that's good. I, I still have a, a core thick spot, mm-hmm. but it's about half the size I'd want it to be. Um, I want a good couple of acres in there um, of a nice thick spot mm-hmm. uh, to try to make sure that I have a, enough bedding there to hold at least one good buck. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, uh, the rest of the woods, when I burn it, it did burn down to bare dirt, I'm going to say over 80% of the woods. Yeah. So, uh, like some of the saplings, uh, as big as my thumb and smaller, you know, some of them, the fire was hot enough it killed. Mm-hmm. All my big trees are just fine. I mean, anything, uh, uh, not a single tree, wrist-sized yeah. or bigger, not affected whatsoever. Just them little guys, but I knew it would, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm okay with that. Yeah. But I do want to see exactly what my acorn crop will look like, as long as I have it this year, you mm-hmm. know, which we should. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do want to see what it looks like in there after I burned. Um uh, just because that's uh, the biggest change that's been on, you know, on my place for years and years. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I need to get out there and see what that does. Uh, but right now on the forest floor in there, uh, lots of weeds growing, uh, broadleaf stuff, you know, mm-hmm. um, really, good. really pretty in there. It's, it's really pretty and green, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and these deer shouldn't have any problem finding those acorns this year. Right. Because there's not going to be any leaf litter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's like what you're talking about. I don't know that I've ever done it on purpose. And I'll be honest with you, never really thought about it. So that's why I kind of highlighted this part of it. It's a good idea to go out there and do it because you can kind of start planning your early season, mm-hmm. you know, especially early season hunting around that if you need to. Yeah. I've probably done some of it by accident Whether I'm out there setting cameras or looking for trails or cutting stuff and realize, hey, that tree's got, you know, pretty good acorns on it mm-hmm. or not either way, but I've never actually purposely done it. So that may be something I go out and do this year actually. In one spot in particular, I can think of um, where those fence rows come together. Yep. Those four fence rows. There's a yeah. patch of woods on east of there or yep. west of there, and there's some good oaks in there. So if I can find out if they got a good crop on them or not, that'll help me determine what, how much I need to be in there. Yeah. Because that's a spot where when it's hot, it's hot, and when it's not, it's not. So yep. I hate to go there and waste time if there's no reason to be in there. But yep. if it does have a good crop, man, it can be it can be really good. Yep. So. You know, he goes on here and he says, if acorns would be, appear to be producing everywhere, I'll plan cl- uh, setups closer to bedding areas. But if there's less productive crop, my setup tend to be closer to the food sources since the deer will likely leave their bedding areas earlier in the day when food is less available. So that's a thing where if I go to that spot and I notice there's a decent amount of acorns, but maybe I walk those fence rows or the other ends of the woods or whatever, and maybe there's not a good a crop, or if there's just a pretty sparse crop anyway, I know there's enough oaks, good-sized oaks in that area. If there's a sparse acorn crop, it's probably still going to be the highest concentration mm-hmm. in that area. Mm-hmm. So it may be something where, like he's talking about, I can set up closer to that, the actual oak flat, 
Yeah. Rather than their bedding. Yeah. Because like he said, they're going to be moving earlier in the day. So I think that's kind of a, one of the, maybe one of the biggest benefits to it is knowing not only whether you need to waste time in there or not, but which part of that place you're going to hunt. Yeah. And especially like where he's at on public ground, that's huge intel to have whether you need to know if you need to be closer to their bedding and maybe taking a little more risk on that side of it or closer to that food. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I've always thought if a guy uh, could really get on acorns, good. Uh, and it's worked for me. I've killed a couple of, of pretty good deer, decent deer, uh, early season on acorns. Uh, my brother's one that really uh, got on me early uh, years ago. You know, he said early uh, in bow season, he said he can't hardly beat acorns mm-hmm. uh, for just what they're doing. If you can get in there, uh, you know, get mm-hmm. slipped in there, good. Uh, you can't get too close to their bedding. Uh, right. But he always told me if you can get in there on the acorns, you got a decent chance, uh, because I mean they still feel they feel still feel covered, yeah, because they're in the woods, you know. Yep. Uh, but they will get up earlier and they'll feed in there before they go to maybe their destination fields, yeah, uh, later on. Yep, it's a really good natural option to like what we try to do with some of our food plots as a staging area, yeah, and especially if you don't have a place to put a good staging food plot that's in some cover because mm-hmm. essentially if you're making a, a food plot to be a staging area you won't have cover because that's yeah. the whole idea yeah like you're talking about uh, those acorns are going to be in the woods yep. so as long as you don't have wide open you know huge mature timber and mm-hmm. it's not all wide open in there they're going to feel pretty secured in there eating those acorns and a lot of times that's where you're going to find your more mature deer yeah. before dark they're not going to enter that field until right at dark yep. you know maybe 10 minutes before but if you ain't just exactly perfect in the right spot yep. you're gonna it's gonna be dark before you get out of there and then you're risking a chance of blowing them all out of the field when you do get out yeah so if you can be maybe on the bedding between the bedding and that oak flat rather than on the main destination food source like what you're talking about yeah that can be really good especially early season yep yep anytime i was ever hunting uh acorns in particular uh in early and mid-october uh, I would always try, uh, normally I was in a climber at that point, uh, but I'd always try to get somewhere, uh, where the terrain was going to push him, you know, uh, try to find you a saddle or something, mm-hmm. you know, uh, to where it's, uh, 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 hunting the middle of an oak flat never, ever worked well for me. Uh, but if you can get somewhere where it's gonna, the terrain's going to push him to you, you know? Yeah. Some uh, kind of natural funnel or travel yeah. corridor. Cause you don't, like you said, you don't be right in the middle of it. That'd be uh, just like hunting the middle of your food plot. Yep. Don't know where they're going to come from, which side of you. Nope. Don't hunt right over that thing or right in the middle of it, be on one side of it or the other. Yeah. Uh, you know, I preferably probably the side they're coming from, the bedding, mm-hmm. like I said. And then what you're talking about, if you can find a good saddle, a creek crossing, some little funnel in the trees where it gets it bottlenecks down yep. in the timber between their bedding and that oak flat, man, it's going to be a pretty good spot to be. Yep. <clears throat> Get your right wind and slip in there. Yeah. That's going to be a good spot. I've also heard of guys making barricades with, uh, with uh, saplings mm-hmm. or uh, treetops, other limbs. You know, mm-hmm. you can kind of push them to you if you want to. Uh, that is a possibility. Yep. Uh, that takes a little work, and it take them a little bit to get used to it. Um, but uh, but it, that might be just enough to to get them uh, within range versus just barely having to watch them walk off. Yep. And that's something we're gonna hit on too. Almost exactly, you know, something he says in here. Uh, we'll talk about that too after that next one. But you mentioned something a second ago that is a really big reason that the summer's overlooked and most guys won't get out there and do anything. The two biggest reasons in my mind: one, it's hot. Yeah. I mean, it's hot this time of year. I'm Humid. a comfort. Yeah, you can walk outside <laughs> and just start sweating without doing anything. Yeah. The other thing is the bugs. 
You, you, yeah, you gotta be, you gotta get doped up with the bugs, you know, the bug dope. Yep. If you're gonna go out this time of year, and they make different stuff. The ticks, to me, like you said, and the turkey mites, which are baby ticks, I guess, little ticks. That's the worst part of it for me. Man, I hate getting those things. Or chiggers. Yep. They make stuff specifically for those. Uh, you gotta put that stuff on because not only is it annoying, but some of those carry disease and stuff like that too, mm-hmm. which you don't want to take a chance of. So. And, you know, being smart about where you're walking and avoiding some of the worse, thicker stuff. Yeah. Uh, but putting that stuff on is really big this time of year. Yeah. If you do that and you're smart about it, uh, you can get away with getting out there a little more, and then you don't have to worry about it as much, so it doesn't become as big of an excuse. Mm-hmm. If you get out there when it's not evening or early morning, maybe you don't have to deal with the mosquitoes as much, Yeah. Uh, which is a problem around here, too, especially a lot of the areas that are a little swampier than others that hold some moisture, like your sprout patch, yep. potentially. I imagine that place is just a hotbed for mosquitoes Yeah. after it rains in the springtime. Yep. So definitely use some bug spray. And then the heat part of it, that's something you're going to have probably have to deal with, you know, because yep. you're, if you're wanting to avoid the bugs and avoid bumping deer, you're going to have to be out there in the hotter part of the day. Yeah. Uh, take some water with you. Be smart about it. But it's kind of my philosophy, anything to do something hard, you know, cause most of us have it pretty easy, comfortable yep. lives. I, I ain't never got itchy or hot on the couch or in the truck. <laughs> right. So, yeah. Get out there and do <laughs> La- something laziness hard. Laziness on my part there. <laughs> It'll be good for you. You yep. know, like I said, be smart about it, but being a little uncomfortable and hot can put some perspective on being on the couch too. You know, yep. you can maybe not take it for granted as much and it's yep. going to be beneficial to your deer hunting. So yes. I'm definitely an advocate for that, uh, Maybe I'm a little bit off, <laughs> I don't know, for wanting to get out there and do that to yourself. But I think it's good for multiple reasons. But anyway. Oh, yeah. uh, when it all works, you feel like you've earned it. Too. Yeah, exactly. You know, you've got the sweat into it. That What do they call that? Sweat equity. Sweat equity, yeah. 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 You've got that into it. It makes it a little more. The payoff's a little more. It's a little better when it comes down to it. So uh, the next thing he talks about, which is something else you mentioned, was cruising back roads, which around here is a big thing. Yep. Sometimes during hunting season, <laughs> which we're not advocating for. No. Let's remember we're talking about the summertime here. So I I've heard that guys are participating in that season too. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is a non-harvesting. Yeah. Operations. Uh, so he says he used to volunteer with an organization called I'm going to butcher this Kinzua Quality Deer Cooperative. And they would do everything from rides in designated areas trying to get an idea of the spot's deer density. Uh, I'm sorry. They would do evening rides in designated areas trying to get an idea of the spot's deer density. He says, what was most unique about doing these deer counts was how we noticed a small window of peak deer activity from late June to early August, which is where we're at now. Mm -hmm. There was just over a 30-day period of great deer movement and gathering intel, then deer sightings would drop drastically. If you didn't take advantage of those prime summer evenings, especially cooler evenings with mild precipitation, you missed out on some great intel. So yeah. like this last week we've had, yes. man, I'm sure you've seen it driving home from work. Yes. I've seen it out driving around that deer. They moved awesome. Yeah, yeah. And that's what he's talking about here. Driving and glassing during the daylight hours also helps with leaving human scent with, yeah, also helps with leaving human scent. So like you said, not being as intrusive. If you're scouting them from the truck with the spotting scope, you're not out there leaving scent. You're not bumping them around. He says, as much as I love putting boots on the ground, in some situations, it's better to do your scouting from a vehicle. Me and Kaylee just love driving around in the evening. Uh, 
hitting the bean fields, you know, mm-hmm. uh, especially right there around where we can hunt, you yeah. know, uh, you know, their, their pattern might shift, uh, anything in my opinion, anything that you see within about a mile, uh, of, you know, uh, there, where we hunt our ground, uh, we've always felt like anything you see within about a mile, you might have a chance of seeing, you know, yeah. later on. And that's probably a pretty conservative number, you know, really, I if think you get so. to thinking about it. if Especially with that wide 10-pointer, the way he ran yeah. last year. Yeah, if you're within a couple, maybe even three miles, maybe more than that on a certain deer, mm-hmm. but if you're in that general area, yep. you know, you got a decent chance of seeing him potentially. Yeah. Now, on the flip side of that, if you see him on you now, there's a decent chance he's not going to be there. They do shift. But you know he knows that area, at least. Yeah. So they're around. Yeah. And you may pull him back in during the rut. Maybe yeah. he ends up staying there if you got the right property, you yeah. know. A lot of times there's dispersal from their summer patterns, but sometimes mm-hmm. they stick around, too. Yep. So. Uh, if it, if he's mature, and that's where he wants to be, and mm-hmm. he ain't got nobody pushing him out, I feel like he'll stay there, you know, uh, if that's where he wants to be. Yep. And if, um, you know, if you do this stuff year over year and you run your cameras in the fall, you'll figure out, you know, uh, hey, I know that buck. He was here last summer, but he moved off in the fall. Yeah. Didn't see him in the fall. Yeah. I see that buck again this summer. He moved off in the fall. Mm-hmm. Now, like, you get to the summer you're at now. Okay, I see this buck. He's probably going to move off in the fall again. Yep. Doesn't mean I can't still try to go in there and see and run my cameras, and maybe he'll show up. Because eventually, later in life, maybe he decides to stick around. Mm-hmm. I've heard plenty of stories of guys killing big deer that they just vanish in the fall. But yep. that one year, they finally stuck around just long enough, whether it just yeah. a little bit later into October yeah. or they decided to stay the whole year. Yeah. You know, they might stick around for that one time. Yep. But that's something you can, like we always talk about, keeping your trail camera pictures year over year. Mm-hmm. You're going to start to recognize those bucks, especially this time of year where they're pretty much done growing, yep. getting really close. Yeah. You start to realize, you can tell which bucks are going to still be there and which ones are not. Mm-hmm. Like you may have one that you see out in the bean field. Hey, I got pictures of him in here last October, yeah. last November. He's going to be around. Yeah. He looks better this year, whatever the case may be. Yeah. And then uh, just thinking back now, uh, like Forrest said, there was, uh, oh, you know, what, probably 15 episodes ago, mm-hmm. Forrest said that they had uh, some bucks that just absolutely wanted to be in corn. Mm-hmm. Others absolutely wanted to be in beans. Yep. Um, there's a whole bunch of variables there. Um, but uh, uh, if you can give them everything that they could want, mm-hmm. you know, uh, that's giving them every opportunity to stay on you. Yep. Uh, but yeah, I, uh, I wonder what makes them, what makes them change, you know, sometimes year after year. Yeah. It's odd, especially if you've got some of them that do stay and some of them that do leave. Mm-hmm. There's guys will go to properties and they'll say, man, we have deer all summer long and then they all leave. Mm-hmm. Well, you get to looking at their property. It's wide open timber. Uh, there's not a lot of fall food for them. You know, most of their food is just, whether it be corn or beans on the outsides of them mm-hmm. or, you know, summer growth that happens somewhere around. And then by November, everything's gone yeah. and there's no cover. Yeah. Well, here's why they're leaving. Yeah. You know what I mean? But then you got guys like we had Dusty on, you know, they'll have 40, 50 deer on them, you know, during the summertime. Mm-hmm. And then that dispersal hits, but they'll still hold you know, 10 or 15, whatever the number is, yeah. just, I'm just pulling numbers out of the air. I don't know what exactly yeah. it is, but so it's like you said, it's kind of odd to see if you know, you got the right setup on the property and that's something you can't control either. I mean, some deer are just going to leave and it's something you got to deal with and figure out which ones are going to be there and which ones you can hunt. Mm-hmm. Cause obviously you don't want to waste time hunting a deer that's not there just because you saw them in August in a bean field. Exactly. But you're spinning your, you're potentially really spinning your wheels. Yeah. Yeah. 
it's interesting to see which ones do stay and which ones do leave, yeah. which you're never going to know if you don't get out there and scout them this time yeah. of year either or, yeah. you know, see them on your cameras. Yeah. And that's something else where if you're just running your cameras and you're not doing this, you may never get that deer on a camera. Mm-hmm. He may be running, you know, 200 yards away from the thing but never going yep. in front of it, but you yep. never know he was there. Yeah. Whereas the same could be same said for the other thing. Yeah. You know, if you're only doing your this kind of scouting but not running cameras, the flip could happen as mm-hmm. well. But, you know, you talked about beans and we keep repeating that. Yeah. A lot of reason for that is this time of year they're really into that high protein stuff. Yes. So if you've got clover that you can see, hopefully you can't see your clover plots from the road. Nope. <laughs> but I if, promise you yeah, can. Yeah. <laughs> On purpose. <laughs> but exactly. Don't want anybody else to see me. <laughs> if you know where one's at, maybe where they're coming to and going yeah. from, you could potentially sit up and see some deer going to it. Yeah. Uh, or the bean fields because they're pretty high in pro- really high in protein yes. as well. So that's why we like sitting up there this mm-hmm. time of year and seeing them coming in and out. That's a really yep. good place. Like I was telling you, seeing them driving home the other day, saw some pretty nice bucks, starting mm-hmm. to get some pictures. I have to show you. Uh, Rod sent me a picture of a couple they've got yeah. out in a bean field looking pretty good. Yeah. Over in Missouri, uh, that's, you know, that's that's where to be, I think. And then sitting in the truck, you can see yeah. most uh, around here, most of the places are pretty flat. Yep. So you can see a long ways with a spot and scope from the road yeah. across the bean field. Yeah. You sit, like your spot and scope set up, you got one that clips to your... Uh, to the window. To the window, right? Yeah, yeah I mean, yep. you can sit in there and be in the air conditioner. <laughs> Correct. And see deer a long ways off. You can sit in there. And never bother them. Yep, sit in there and jam real mm-hmm. quiet. Yeah. Um, no, that's the way to go. I really like that a lot. Yep. Um, you can see, oh, I can see over half a mile. Uh, yeah. See, and see good detail. Yep. Uh, real easy with ours. Um, it's just a cheap one. Um, it's uh, Vortex Diamondback. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know. I think you can get them for like 300 bucks. I mean, uh, uh, get you a good window mount. Mm-hmm. Uh, you want to spend a little bit of money for that. Uh, I got a Weaver. I don't. Now I heard they don't even make the one I got anymore, but my, mine's like a pistol grip. You got to squeeze yeah. and compress that dude, and, and it's on a ball and socket. Yep. Uh, and that dude, as soon as you let go, it's going to lock in whatever position it's in. Mm-hmm. I got a buddy that's got one. You got to unscrew this little handle and twist and uh, move it. And it just, uh, it's a real pain. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but, yeah, you can get you, uh, get you a good setup there. Um, and like mine, uh, the way it works, I can flop it inside where the whole thing's just laying inside, you know, right next to the steering wheel. Mm-hmm. So you ain't got the possibility of throwing rock at it or anything. Then right. when, you, when you see what you want, uh, you just squeeze it and flop it up there and it'll be, yep. you know, yeah, real easy. Yeah. And then, of course, you can get... Uh, the thing where you attach your phone to it too and you just take mm-hmm. pictures that way you can send all your buddies that's really handy you know, too yeah. yeah uh yeah i get them good and jealous yep and it's good for just keeping the you know intel too like oh, your yeah. trail cameras you, oh, know, you yeah. can save that picture but i've got and that's one especially if you're going to do hunting out west or we'll call it kansas or anywhere there's pretty good open area it's been you know just like with a rifle uh you know, if they say you want to spend a thousand dollars on a rifle, spend three hundred dollars on the gun and seven hundred dollars on the scope. Yep. It's kind of the same idea. Spend, you know, you get what you pay for with you glass. Sure do. I've got one that's kind of in the range that you got. Mm-hmm. It's not top of the line. It's not the bottom dollar one either. But mm-hmm. it does what I need it to. Yeah. It doesn't have a super zoom on it. But mm-hmm. for I use it for shooting, target shooting, like with rifles and stuff, and then scouting deer. Yeah. And obviously use it if we go out west. But. uh Get you a good spot and scope for, like you said, you can get a good one for decent 
Well, mm-hmm. I say that. I bought mine two years ago, so who knows what they are uh, now. That's but, true. But you can get a good enough one, do your research, and you'll figure out if it's yeah. a good one or not for the money. Yeah. And then, you can, like you said, have a decent setup. Yeah. Get you a good mount. And that's one way you can do a good portion of this, or at least part of this. This is a third of what we're talking about, and he's got two more things he talks about in here that we're not even hitting on. But without having to get out there with the bugs and the sweating real hard and all that. so It's real easy, and it's not intrusive. Mm-hmm. And you, you can know. gather a lot of information you from can. it. You yeah. can, so. And it's fun. Yeah, uh, I mean, it Kay- is. Kaylee loves doing it, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, you drive around, and you see them all out there in the fields, you know. Yeah, you get a good summer evening and nothing else to do like you said it's a lot of fun yep. to do too drive around kill some time yep now we could afford to make a lot bigger circles if uncle joe old sleepy joe hadn't <laughs> yeah done all that he's done you know yeah i don't know if they make a mount for a horse and buggy with your spot and scope probably just have to get a tall tripod i think it'd be shaky <laughs> yeah anyways the kind of the next thing he goes into talking about which is something you mentioned a second ago too Trimming lanes and clearing trails. Now, this is another one where you got to put in that sweat equity mm-hmm. in the summertime, but I'll kind of read through this, what I got picked out from it here, and then we'll talk about it. He says, summertime, especially late summer, where we're at now, is a perfect time to check out the deer trails and your hunting locations to make sure they're clear from obstructions and overgrowth. Opening up a deer trail that passes by your stand can be the difference between getting a shot or watching the buck of a lifetime get by you next hunting season, mm-hmm. like you was just saying. Deer often take the path of least resistance, so try to create accessible lanes and paths that pass by your stands. He goes on, he says, I've found that this kind of work is often done too early or too late. If you do it in the spring or early summer, you'll often see it grow back by the time hunting season starts. Also, you can wait too long and possibly disturb the deer in your area if you wait until hunting season. Mature bucks know their homes just as well as we know ours. It takes time for them to adjust to changes they see within their core areas. The worst thing you can do is make deer alter their routes once hunting season begins. That's why I believe late summer is a perfect time to get in the woods to get a lot of work done. And then he goes on, he says, modern hunting technology is a great benefit for whitetail hunters. However, let us never forget the old school methods that made us the deer hunters we are today. So right there, what he was talking about at the end, you know, we've said it on the podcast. Dad's said it a couple of times, I think, talking about like you come in the house and your couch has moved. You notice yeah. it, you know, yeah. the, like he just said there. The deer, especially the mature bucks, mature does, you know, they're onto that kind of stuff. Yep. If you go cutting a whole big trail out and cutting a tree down and laying it across one, they're going to notice that ain't right. It wasn't there yesterday. Yep. Because they're out there all the time, you know. So you can do too much and you can do it too late. Yep. Which is, I think, probably the biggest thing that happens. Yeah. Guys get out there a week before the season or maybe the day they go to hunt. Yep. And they clear out all this stuff, or they want to get it all cleared out and change a bunch of things, and then yeah. the deer notice it too. For sure. And then the other thing, the flip side of that is doing it too early, and then yeah. you've basically wasted your time because a lot of that growth, you say you do it in March or April. Yep. Well, May through September is when most of the summer stuff's growing. Yep. And weeds and stuff, and then you're going to have all that stuff back in the way yeah. by the time hunting season rolls around. So. Yeah. But that's a good one. Like, uh, what he said there beginning was like I said almost quoted you almost quoted him there earlier without yeah. knowing it uh, <laughs> yeah. you know that making sure those trails are cleared might be the difference between him walking 20 yards away yeah. and 75 yards away yeah just because he's skirting that trail because there's something in the way yeah you know and that could cost you yep I uh, uh, if you can if you can do a few little things like like he said they're gonna if they're moving normal they're gonna take the path of least resistance uh, they really are. If you can, you can even build a barricade to speak of, you know, mm-hmm. uh, if you can, 
lay some little saplings down or something. And uh, uh, if you know, if you, if you can push him just a little closer to you, you know, to get him to do what you're wanting him to do, you sure can. Um, but uh, like he's saying, you gotta, you need to do that earlier rather than later. Uh, I know one guy in particular, he clears all his lanes in February and March, mm-hmm. but he makes them great big. Mm-hmm. Um, he allows for some for growth. some regrowth. Yeah. Um, uh, I've always been real conservative on cutting. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that it's ever really cost me anything. Um, uh, I know, uh, like one guy, he'd, he'll hunt real high and he'll cut everything. If there's a deer within range, he's going to be able to shoot it. Yeah. That's all there is to it. I'd rather have just a hole here, a hole there, and not do too much cutting. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, now, it could cost you doing it that way, but I, I'd rather be conservative. Yeah, it um, could cost you the other way, too. It could. Um, I mean, all of a sudden, they, they look and they're like, wow, I can see way up in the trees. There's a great big <laughs> opening now. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, I've always been conservative on cutting. Um, I always just tried to make just enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, a lot of times, it's uh, around this time of year when I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, you sure don't want to do it late if you change things late, you know. I mean, they're going to smell where you've where you've cut uh, yeah. cut on the Especially trees. Especially stuff on the ground. Yeah, they're going to sna- smell that. They'll smell you yep. if you if you touched it at all. Mm-hmm. They're going to smell you. Um, it uh, and they remember. Oh know, yeah, they don't, they don't forget. The that. mature deer aren't going to forget. Nah, and they're going to know that that stuff only happens, you know, mm-hmm. in certain little areas. Yeah, last time I saw that happen, I smelled it. Bob's heart exploded <laughs> in that <laughs> yeah. same spot. Yeah, we never seen Bob. Again. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, you know, you could get away with a little bit of, like, shooting lane cutting up in the tree, you know, later if you go there that first day and maybe oh, you miss yeah. something or see yeah. something. But especially on the ground, or if, like, you're talking about going and open up too much, mm-hmm. if you think about the trees you're in, which if you're in the right trees, you should have decent cover. Yes. Most of the trees with decent cover is one pretty good-sized limb that comes out and branches out. Mm-hmm. If you cut that dude at the base of the tree, you've opened up. I mean, mm-hmm. you've done it. You've seen it. You've opened up this huge window. Yep. Not only can they see you more now, but just something walking by where these, you know, the deer, the way they see is just this whole 180 degree picture mm-hmm. of like, they can see everything. Yeah. Where we focus, I think I've told you this before we talked about it, where we'll focus on like one spot, mm-hmm. like well, no matter where you're looking, you're focused on one singular spot. Like yeah. you cannot focus on everything at the same time. Okay. So a deer, everything in their range, field of view is in focus yeah which is why they can see movement so well Mm -hmm. so in their peripheral if they're just walking down this trail and yesterday they saw these branches and now today there's this big you know five foot gap ten foot gap in this tree now they're going to notice something's different and maybe they look up that time and they see you up there because it's the first time yeah now like we're talking about if you do that early enough just like setting up a blind they're going to see that thing and okay they might not come back for a couple days but nothing happened to them and mm-hmm. then they'll come back close to it, and they'll see it again, and nothing happened to them. Enough, you know, a few weeks go by, and they pass that thing, and nothing happens to them. They eventually don't think anything of it. Yeah. Because stuff does happen in the woods. Yeah. Lightning strikes, trees fall down, stuff like that changes. They eventually get used to it as long as there's no danger present, you know, when they see it. So At home, they never get used to it. <laughs> right. <laughs> they just stare at that thing for uh-huh. minutes on end. <laughs> yep. So that's, you know, and they're probably, you know, smart enough. If you got neighbors that hunt and they're yeah. not as smart about it with their blind, it's going to take a lot more for them to oh man be not weary around that thing. Yep, you got to brush it in. You still got to brush it in good and all that. Yeah, but 
anyway, that's something to do too this time of year rather than getting too late. Even though it's going to cost that sweat equity, yeah. again, it's going to be worth it in the end. Yeah. You know, if you're sitting behind that 178-inch deer yep. that you put that work in for, yep. it's hard to believe it could feel better than it does, but it does. You know, Correct. You know what I mean? If yep. you got to work hard for something. Yeah. If, if anybody has done any hard work and reap the rewards of it, you know it feels better than something just being given to you. Oh, yeah. Or just dumb luck into something. Oh, yeah. So, And you're upping your chances, too. Mm-hmm. Luck's good, and it's nice to have. And a lot of times in hunting, you got to have it. Yep. I mean, on your side. But if you're just banking on that, and you don't put in any of the work, you got a lot less chance than if you put in the work. Yep. I need every advantage I can have. Exactly. They're they're so smart, it's hard to beat them anyway. So yep. get out there and do that kind of stuff. So that was kind of the last bit I had from the article by Steve Shirk. Like I said, July, version, July issue of North American Whitetail. It's actually the summer scouting special. So there's a lot of good stuff in there that could be used this time of year over the next month or so you guys want to check that out i would there's so much stuff online and youtube and all that i highly recommend getting a subscription and getting the print in your hand and reading that stuff because there's a lot of good stuff in it Mm -hmm. and you can go back to it as a resource you don't have to say man i saw that on the internet somewhere we can't remember where it was i forgot to bookmark it well i go back to these things a lot use them for the podcast obviously but go do that if you haven't uh, it's relatively cheap too. Something like a dollar a month, maybe. Might be two dollars a month. Anyway, off of that, on to the next thing I want to talk about, which uh, is the food plots that we got coming up. And we talked about a little bit last week. Getting to the time of year to start prepping some plots. Uh, you did some late planted beans here recently. Yep. And I wanted to get some done, but I I think I'm just going to go to some brassicas now because. I still haven't even got the spot cleared. I want to do it. So the time I yeah. get it done, it's going to be tough to get beans and actually produce anything. And if I yeah. plant them, I don't just want them for the green. Correct. I actually want them to have beans on them. Yeah. Which there's nothing wrong with mixing them into your fall mix to have that green because the deer mm-hmm. will eat the crap out of them. But yes. I want to plant enough of them where it's going to be a good source for them all through the winter. Mm-hmm. So anyway, you just planted some, was it last week? Yeah, last Saturday. Before the big rain, right? Oh, man. Yeah. I did not plant life jackets with them. I probably should have. Um, they, uh, I've not been back to look at them. Mm-hmm. I'll probably give it another week yeah. uh, and then go see if I got anything. Um, uh, honestly, with all that water that we got, I'm kind of thinking no. Um, kind of thinking I probably won't. Uh, I mean, now it's just man, that was a bunch. Yeah. Was a bunch. Now it's on high ground. It ain't. Uh, it's on a hill. It, That's the thing. It doesn't. It doesn't slope any, does it? The nope, plot. Just, just a very northeast edge. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's like 15 yards of it, you know. Uh, other than that, although it's pretty flat, uh, pretty level, um, decent, uh, it is on that hilltop there. Um, I hope they come up, but but if they don't, I mean, that's just part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I tilled it. I got an acre and a quarter of them there. Uh, made that plot a decent amount bigger. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say 40% bigger. Um, I always guessed it about three quarters of an acre. Um, uh, tilled it. Of course, I, had to, I mowed it. Sprayed it, mm-hmm. uh, mowed it, waited 10 days, uh, two weeks, mm-hmm. sprayed, uh, let it get growing again, and mm-hmm. sprayed it so it'd take in that chemical good. Gave it about another two weeks, um, and then I went in there and tilled it. I can till about an acre an hour or so, maybe a little maybe a little better, yeah. a little faster. Tilled up very nice in just one pass. The old portion of the plot I expected to, because mm-hmm. I've always had a plot there, but then the new portion even didn't do too bad. Yeah. Um, so I uh, got it tilled under, broadcasted them. Broadcasted very heavy. Uh, I had a bunch of these beans. Uh, broadcasted very heavy. Then we got a cultimulture, uh, which is a very, very nice mm-hmm. uh, tool to, to level out. 
and drag in with. Um, pulled that over them. I worried about getting them covered up good enough. Um, I know I got most of them covered up. Uh, and then I thought, ah, they're giving maybe a chance of heavy rain, you know, that might go ahead and beat them in the ground. Uh, the heavy rain was not even, uh, close to describing what we got. Yeah, you it know. was a yeah. flood. Like a land monsoon. Uh-huh. Um, anyway, uh, man, we got a bunch of water. Yeah. Um, so it might have drowned them out, I don't know. Uh, that cultimulture, it leaves little mini, uh, mini ridges, mm-hmm. you know. Um, hopefully that, uh, somewhat channeled the water, um... Uh, and didn't just let it sit. Yeah. You know? But anyway, uh, whatever happens, happens. We'll see. Um, I am going to get some fertilizer out there on them if mm-hmm. they come up. Mm-hmm. If they don't come up, uh, I'm going to go back to the soil sample and see what I need to do to get a fall mix in there Yeah. Uh, in three weeks or a month. Yep. So one thing that uh, Tubbsy mentioned to me the other day, which I'm sure any farmer listening to this knows, and maybe you've thought about it already, but so if that happens and you get a lot of water like that all at once, and then, like, if it's going to get dry again, if it gets dry and dries up and cracks the top, and the top's real dry, it may be a good idea to run back over that with your cultipacker and yep. break that up. Otherwise, yep. they won't push through it. Correct. So that was something that I was going to mention to you. Yep. If you hadn't thought about it or not. Yeah. Uh, when you go check them, that may be something to look for. Yep. And if you go, maybe you just run that cultipacker or cultimulture back over mm-hmm. them. Yep. And that gives break. them just enough to come up through it. Yeah, break the crust. Um, I hope that's not a problem, but it could be a problem. Yeah. It really could. Yep. Um, I uh, I don't know I don't know what the right answer is there. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, also, if it does that this time of year, as hot as it's going to be, I feel like they could uh, they could rot in there just yeah. real fast if yeah, you don't could. catch it in time. Yep. Um, I I just don't know. Yep. Uh, and uh, you know, even if they come up a little bit, and you're still kind of worried about it. Like he was telling me that too. Uh, guys up north that grow beans, uh, they wait till they get, you know, just breaking through, mm-hmm. inch tall or two inches tall or whatever. And they'll actually roll them. Really? Yep. So I know these guys up north use land rollers. Mm-hmm. I thought it was more for pushing rocks back in the ground, so they wouldn't potentially pick them up. Uh, but I know it helps for soil seed contact as well. Mm-hmm. Um, when before they sprout, right. I didn't realize guys would do it after they've already come up. Yeah, so the idea is, and he says they all do it every year, like it's nothing. He said he wouldn't feel good about doing it. I think it'd make me sick if <laughs> yeah. I drug a, a yard roller over but the if top you go of some rolling, good-looking beans. You're rolling it over them. He said it'll stress them, and yep. they'll think, uh, they'll try to, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, Tough try to it, overcome that stress. up a little bit. Yeah, yep. and then they'll shoot up, huh. and there'll be more growth in them. Because they think they're going to die yeah. when you just rolled them over. Huh. stresses them just enough to get them growing. Yeah. Now, I think you'd want to be careful about when you did that. If you did it before yeah. a big drought, it might be too much stress. I don't know. Yeah. Or in the middle of one, you know what I yeah. mean? But, you know, if he's worried about rolling them over, maybe mm-hmm. uh, to break that stuff up, mm-hmm. maybe you wouldn't have to worry about it so much. I don't know. Hmm. I'd never heard of that, rolling them when they're already up. Mm-hmm. And I think you can, you know, you can get away with a little bit when they're at that stage. So yeah, that's part of the idea too. I never thought about it. Like you said, you got a good looking stand of beans in your food plot and you think, man, I'll go rolling things over. Yeah. <laughs> but I guess the, those <laughs> the neighbor, guys do it. The neighbors will talk about you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they would. <laughs> so anyway, that's a couple of things I had, you know, yep. was going to mention. Yep. But like you said, uh, another three weeks or so, if you don't get anything, you're thinking about doing some fall mixes. Yep. And what I was talking about going to a fall mix, 
I'd like those couple spots to make them bigger. Yeah. More of not quite a destination, but maybe a little bit of one because mm-hmm. they're where it's at at the cabin. There's not a yep. lot of destination food around. Correct. So I'm thinking of doing some brassicas in half of it, like I normally like doing, and then some wheat in the other half, mm-hmm. uh, and going and doing that. Which you said, like you said, here in the next couple, two, three weeks, going to be time to start planting those yes. brassicas. Now I'll normally wait. If I can, you can plant them at the same time, but I'll wait and go in and broadcast that winter wheat just a little bit later. Yeah. A couple of weeks, generally a couple of weeks after I plant the other stuff. Yeah. It just, it germinates a little better that way mm-hmm. and you get a little more production out of it. Yeah. At least in what I've done. Uh, if you got to do them at the same time or you do, it's a food plot, so you ain't going to worry about it too much. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You're not trying to make the best wheat you possibly can. Yeah. But yeah, that's what I generally try to shoot for, which is why another reason... You know, some of those mixes that they'll just throw all that stuff in together. It's not always the best thing mm-hmm. if you're looking for bang for your buck because they're not supposed to necessarily be planted at the same time. Yeah. But, and then if you do go, and I've done it, I did it in a small plot I'm going to make bigger last year. Or, yeah, last year I, I'm going to make it bigger this year. I did sow the wheat over the top of the brassicas, but mm-hmm. they were kind of spotty in places. Yeah. And I didn't do it real thick. So you can plant them together, but if you get that wheat too thick, it might outgrow your brassicas, if you plant them at the same time, then you've just yep. thrown a bunch of seed in the ground that's not going to grow. It's true. It'd choke it all out. Yeah. Just like any other, like a fescue would. Yep. You know, because that weed will get up growing pretty quick. Yeah. And pretty thick if you broadcast at the right rate. So. Yeah. But anyway, that's kind of what I'm planning on doing there. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk a little bit more about blends as we get closer to planting season. But. Yeah. Uh, so you think you're thinking about doing that in your other new plot too? Correct. Yep. The new plot. Um, I want. Uh, I want it to be. Something high-powered green stuff, uh, I think so. Um, I don't know. Uh, definitely clover in there. Uh, looking at some of that, uh, the Grandpa Ray stuff with alfalfa and a couple of different mixes with that. Uh, I know that'd be perennial. Um, I'd considered mixing some peas in there, winter peas, mm-hmm. cow peas, mm-hmm. something like that. I know that's an annual. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had done some peas in the past before in a mix, and it really done well. I'd added them into it. Yep. Really done well. Uh, of course, that's a lot like a bean, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, but anyway, um, that I'd really done well with that. I don't know exactly what I'm going to do down there, but I want something. Uh, I'd like, uh, oh, um, what do you call it? Tonnage, mm-hmm. you know, uh, mm-hmm. uh, high tonnage per acre, yeah, per year, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, something that's really going to grow. Uh, something that I'll probably have to mow, you know, to keep with it and everything. Uh, but down there, I think that'd be the best option. Mm-hmm. Um, up there, if the beans don't grow, I'm going to do uh, something, uh, uh, definitely something annual. Um, I don't know what kind of mix uh, I'd have up there. I talked about maybe grain and greens mm-hmm. uh, that Grandpa Ray's got. Uh, I got two patches of clover, little patches, like quarter to a half acre patches mm-hmm. um, within 300 yards. Uh, two different directions um, of that plot. I want this one to be a bigger patch uh, and something not just clover. Yeah. Uh, well, a little bit ago we talked about like staging mm-hmm. plots. That's what my clover plots are up there. Yeah. Uh, that they're on the way to the destination food. This this plot here, I want it to be more of a destination food. Uh, I can't compete with the crop fields on the other side of the woods. Right. Um, but until they're I, gone. Correct. Uh, but if I got something uh, very good here. I know they're going to come to it. They always have. Yeah. It's always worked That's more palatable, more nutritious for them, too. Correct. Yeah. Um, uh, brassicas, I have them in there. Uh, 
Maybe winter peas in that one as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just I ain't decided yet. I'm hoping these beans will go. Yeah. But if they don't, I got some decisions to make. Right. Uh, I know I just had the thought. I lost it. About uh, the mixes. Oh, I'm thinking about doing some annual clovers, maybe in mine. Uh, the smaller plot, I do want to make it a little bigger, but by the stand, mm-hmm. by the pond. I'm thinking uh, the NDA had a mix that was mostly like annual clovers, mm-hmm. like arrow leaf and maybe a crimson clover and something else. I might I might try that. Yeah. Uh, there was something else in there that wasn't clover, but it was three or four different types of seeds, but yeah. mostly annual clovers. And uh, I might try that there just to see, just try something different, mm-hmm. just to see what it turns out to be. Yeah. Uh, and then in that other bigger pot, I'm going to do similar to what you're talking about, the Nebraska yeah. mix, maybe some winter peas, and then, yeah. you know, wheat on the other side. So a green and grains kind of mix. Yeah. Um, for sure going to use some Grandpa Ray's on at least one side of it. And he does mm-hmm. sell the winter wheat too. So whether I get it from him or our, the guys I've been getting other stuff from, mm-hmm. I don't know, but I'm definitely going to use one of his blends. Yeah. Uh, and speaking of John at Grandpa Ray's, we're going to try to have him on a podcast. Now that we're back on a regular schedule, I'm going to try to get with him. And then we'll talk about with him some what he might recommend, depending on, you know, for what situation we're in mm-hmm. individually or what he just likes, maybe what's more popular in general, yeah. what he likes the best. Uh, we'll get some information from him too. I yeah. think that'll be a good podcast to have him on and talking about that kind of stuff. So, Yep. Another thing to consider for me, that new plot down there where it's at, uh, if I uh honestly want much to happen i gotta consider the fact that i'm not going to have a ton of direct sunlight with it Mm -hmm. um uh, that's going to be a reality i'd be foolish to plant something that i know i need a lot of light for yeah yeah um, uh, and have very much expectation for it at all yeah you know and uh, that's something guys a lot of times will miss too is even if it looks open Yep. It might not be. You really need to have a pretty good idea of how much sunlight you got. Because, again, yep. you might be throwing something out there that you're just wasting Correct. time and money on. Yep. It's not going to grow because it ain't getting enough sunlight. Yep. Uh, I might have to plant something that I don't really want to plant. Mm-hmm. Uh, that might not be my first choice. Mm-hmm. Um, but I should plant whatever is going to be uh, have the best chance of growing right. down there where I'm going to put it. Because it's going to be, I mean, it's only going to get a few hours of direct sunlight uh, when the sun's directly overhead there, because mm-hmm. there's going to be, there's woods on both sides, yep. you know, um, it's going to be a long skinny plot, long and skinny north and south, woods on the east and the west, that's not going to get much sunlight. Right. So right. anyway, I got to keep that in mind, mm-hmm. um, if I have much expectation of growing much down there. Yeah, because if you got stuff in the shade, you, almost you no gotta, matter what it is, if it doesn't get more than a couple hours of sunlight a day, it's going to be hard to grow anything. You got to plant a shade tolerant yep. something. Yep. Uh, you know, clover's normally pretty good about that. Yep. Whether it's something where maybe you add a little bit of that on the edges and out in the middle, you plant something different. If that's what you got to do, it's what you got to do. Yeah. Or if you can find a whole mix that's more shade tolerant than something else. Yeah. Uh, and they do make mixes like that. So oh, yeah. I know Grandpa Razor got some of them. We're going to talk about yeah. that with him as well. So that's uh pretty much all I had mm-hmm. to talk about for tonight's episode. So unless you got anything else. I don't think so. All right. That was a... Uh, a little bit about summer scouting, a little bit about what we got going on food plot wise. We're going to try to do an update on the on Jeff's property here. It'll probably be when we plant the the wheat and oats. I'll probably do one on that so I'll let you guys know what's going on there. It's looking good. Mm-hmm. The corn looks good, the beans look good, the clover and uh, alfalfa looks good. We're going to add some chicory to it this fall. Only reason we didn't this spring is cuz I didn't have any at the time we planted it. Uh, all that I had went to client property, so that's part of 
when you do it for business, yours kind of ends up getting leftovers and ends up being last. But it's looking really good, I think, especially for a first-year plot. Uh, that barricades was growing really well you know, with the mm-hmm. switchgrass in there. So we're getting pretty excited about it. I think we've got a couple stand locations that are going to be good for it as well. So we'll get you updated on that again. But before we get out of here, I don't want to forget to mention our sponsors, which I talked a little bit about earlier, and we were just talking about Grandpa Ray Outdoors. If you don't listen to the podcast, if you don't know who they are, they specialize in providing the best nutrition for whitetail deer on your property, starting with the soil. They've got a full line of high-quality food plot seed and plant foods. Uh, they were started in 2015, but John, who we talked about, has been in the seed and nutrition business since 1991. They've got over 14 different food plot blends to choose from, so no matter what you're looking for, you'll be able to find it with those guys. They've got fall and spring blends, corn and beans, switchgrass, liquid fertilizer, soil test kits, you name it, they've pretty much got it. They aren't just about selling those products, though. Um, and we're going to talk to them about this when he comes on. They'll answer the questions you have about what blends would be best for your specific property. That way you can make get the best results possible, like what Nate was talking about with the shade or maybe what you've got around you or other plots you have on your property, where it's going to be all, you know, location in the country for that matter. Um, you know, like us, John doesn't believe in a cookie cutter approach to wildlife nutrition. Uh, he'll treat your situation individually. They aren't about a fancy label or package. They're about good quality seed and taking care of their clients. We've used our seed blends on client properties in the past, and the results have been as good as advertised. That's why we're using them on our properties, and we're going to continue to use them, uh, and that's why we partnered with them on the podcast. So you can go check them out at GrandpaRayOutdoors.com and use discount code RHO Podcast. That's capital R-H-O space capital P Podcast, and you'll get 10% off your entire order. The other sponsor that we have is Rack's Big Game Supplements. You guys have heard us talk about them all summer Uh, about using their stuff they're a veteran-owned company out of northeast nebraska deer hunters just like the rest of us um, at the time when they started the business they weren't really happy with the options that were out there for minerals and feed kind of felt like they were wasting a lot of money feeding a lot of raccoons and squirrels and everything else uh, and not getting the results they wanted so they developed their products through years of research and came up with one of the best mixes available that will help improve your herd's overall health while not feeding non-target species like the raccoons They've got minerals, protein blocks, pelletized feed, and meal feed, all specifically designed for whitetails. You can go check them out at RaxMineral.com and use discount code RHO22, capital RHO22 at checkout and receive 5% off your entire order. You can also stop by the shop and see what we've got in stock or make an order for what we don't. Save yourself a little money on shipping because just like everything else, that's really expensive right now, especially if you can go buy in a 40-pound bag of mineral or a 30-pound protein block so and like i said earlier we're also going to have some of their products at the show up at the deer and beer fest and we'll do some show specials on pricing up there too so don't miss out on that if you're wanting that stuff that's going to be a really good time to get it that's all we got for tonight thanks for listening guys like i said we're going to start doing this on mondays so we will catch you at the beginning of next week thanks for listening 